0: for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.
1: Hello, this is international football commentator
0: Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and back to discuss players who might or might not have a bounce back season after a tricky time last time out. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Dean Jones, transfer guru. How you doing mate?
2: Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, we're going to dig today into some storylines that are going to open up early on in the season um, as we discover whether these lads can have a bounce back. They all need one. Uh, There's seven names in here today that we're going to go through and discuss. And as we go through, we'll, we'll determine whether we're backing them or not to to have the bounce back that they need. I've got there's elements of confidence in all of them, but there's certainly a few doubts too. Um, so yeah, I think this will be a fun one.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what what's in here. So we're gonna get straight into it because there's quite a lot to get through here. So I'm gonna throw it to you uh, and let's open this discussion up.
2: Yeah, fine. Let's start uh, with a Chelsea player. I mean, Chelsea, obviously the team probably that need uh, a bounce back season more than anybody else in in Europe right now, unless you're Juve, maybe. Um, But yeah, disaster last season for Chelsea. And Raheem Sterling was the first signing of the Todd Burley era. So he was kind of the catalyst for everything that went wrong. Sorry, Raz, but it's true. It all went wrong from this moment. It's not your fault but this was just the start of it. A £50 million deal that was one year ago um, has failed to see him live up to everything he was achieving over at Manchester City when he was helping lead them towards Premier League titles. Um, Raz had he had a good goal-scoring record across his time, actually, at, at Man City. Yeah. He'd got 78 league goals across his five seasons uh, up there. Always got into double figures. And at Chelsea last season, he didn't even come close to that. 28 games played in the Premier League last season for Raheem Sterling, six goals and three assists. Not all his fault. Obviously, a lot of instability there last season, a lot of coaches, a lot of different styles of play, but he did struggle. Um, He's actually spoken about this since, and he says, this is a challenge that I will overcome. It will taste even sweeter to win silverware coming back from a moment like this than when you are winning every single week. That's going to be a hell of a comeback if he can indeed lead Chelsea to silverware next season. They are embarking on another new era under Pochettino right now. We would expect Raheem Sterling to have a big part to play in that. There is an interesting twist to this Raheem Sterling one, though, because there have been already, over the course of last season, doubts about him even staying at Chelsea. Um, There have been, yeah, concerns about whether he was completely content at the club, whether they were going to give up on the investment early doors. I actually do believe that if he doesn't start this season well, it could easily spiral. And I can see a situation whereby Sterling ends up leaving Chelsea halfway through next season, the season coming if it doesn't go well. It's his massive season for him. He's got the Euros coming up at the end of the season. He has to start delivering and he has to be a big part of this. So you'd think under Pochettino that could happen. The team's completely changed now. So it's a lot, to, a lot of unknown factors here at play. But for Raheem Sterling, it has to be a bounce back. He's never really had a moment like this. Obviously, there's been... A few iffy spells. There was, there's was, there been games and moments when he wasn't always able to deliver in, uh, even when he was at Man City. But over a prolonged period of time, Raheem Sterling not really experienced anything like this. I like him a lot as a player. I like him a lot as a personality too. I think he's got a very um, wise outlook and I think he's... Don't think he's jaded by many things in life, to be honest with you. But this is a big test for him. What are you thinking, mate? Do you think Raz makes the bounce back he needs?
0: Yeah. So he, I think what's really interesting here is that he is now one of the senior members of this squad, right? He, he, he is, and, and that's one of the oldest. Yeah. This is it. So there are very few players older than him. Thiago Silva is obviously 38, but the rest of the players who are older than Sterling are look like they're on their way out. Hakim Ziyech is is 30. He looks like he's going. Romelu Lukaku is 30. He looks like he's going. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is 34. He looks like he's going. The only player in the same relative age category as as Sterling is Kepa Rizbalaga, who's also 28. So, you know, you you look at the two of them in, in that regard and you think, okay, you have to step up now and you have to be a leading light for this team. Uh, And B, you know, someone who makes a difference on a regular basis. And and I think you're right. This is a really important moment. I think in a Maurizio Pochettino system, coming off that left flank, he fits really nicely. But he has major, major competition in the form of Mikhailo Mudrik, who will also fancy making that left wing spot his own. You know, we, we talked about players and how this works and how these things shake out at the end of of last week when we were talking about transfer fees and and the biggest transfers in premier league history and Mikhail Mudric has a lot of points to prove and yet we're looking at this and going is this the moment that raheem sterling makes that left wing spot his own so there's there's question marks i think generally about about these things and he's also going to be expected to be the leading figure and the senior figure in this wing core because you look at the rest of it Mudrick is 22 obviously there's Diego Moreira although I I don't think he's going to play all that much to be honest this is he's going go back on loan he's 18 Nonimad is 21 and then Angelo who's just been brought in from Santos is 18 Christopher Cuckoo might play a little bit wide yeah okay fine he's 25 Nick Jackson is 22 these are a very very young side and they need leadership in those areas and they're going to look to Raz to bring that and so as much as his impact on the field is important this year I think his impact off the field might be just as crucial if Chelsea are going to bounce back.
2: Yeah we will know by October the 21st whether Raheem Sterling has managed to do this. I look at Chelsea's fixture list tells us he would have been faced with all the challenges he needs to overcome. Chelsea actually have a tough start to season in the first two games. They've got Liverpool at home, obviously Sterling's old club and one he actually doesn't typically do too well against. They then have West Ham away, which is a really tough first away game uh, and a London derby. But then Chelsea have a run of games where they should really assert themselves on the season. Luton, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Fulham, Burnley an unbelievable stretch of games that for them and then October 21st as it's scheduled right now Arsenal home that is a a run of games that allows you to build spirits build confidence get some points on the board and then go into one of your biggest games of the season so yeah I think we'll get an early early indicator of how this season is going to go for Raheem Sterling um I'm gonna lead that one straight into the second player I want to talk about here. Um, oh, this player fell off a cliff last season. Hyungmin son at Tottenham Hotspur. This was probably the biggest surprise of the year in terms of how ineffective he was. When I read out the stats of how things went, it doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> well, he played 36 games, he got 10 goals, and he got six assists, but it's basically August, a goal contribution every one in 2 in it? It's not. Listen, between August and January, he'd scored three goals. Okay? Those all came in the same match against Leicester. Mm. Right? It was all in the one match. He slowly fought his way back. In April, he did have a good spell of games. He got four and five. Sonny was not his old self. Not his old self at all. Now, it turns out there are reasons behind this we, I think, can back Son to make a huge comeback this season. Let's remember, this was a man who last season was coming on the back of winning the Premier League Golden Boot Award. But yeah, over the course of last season, ended up with 13 fewer goals as Tottenham, obviously, were disappointing and ended up finishing eighth. But of course, Son did have that eye mask on for a while, even at the World Cup. He fractured his eye socket. So that was obviously a problem. But it's turned out that Son also had an underlying problem that none of us knew about during pretty much the entirety of last season. He's revealed that uh, he was being limited to playing, he reckons, around 60% capacity last season. And at the end of the season, he has had a hernia operation, which should mean that problem has eased. He said he could always feel it. Every time he made certain movements, certain runs, he could feel this pain. And he played through it all, all season, with us all judging him and saying, what's happened to Son? Why is his, why are his levels dropped here? You know, the, the assists, the goals, the numbers are falling off here. It doesn't really make sense. Where's this connection with Kane gone? Well, it turns out there were underlying reasons. This is a man I am 100% backing, for a comeback season. First game Tottenham have got Brentford away, then Man United at home. Two massive fixtures for Sonny to assert himself on this team. Um as long as he you know he is fully fit in time for the campaign. He's uh as we're recording this, he's in Australia. Uh I should probably point out actually we are recording this a little bit earlier than we normally would um just due to our own scheduling uh, over the summer. But um yeah as we are recording this Son is in Australia and he has started training with the team and stuff. He's just missed out on the, the fixture that they've played against West Ham. But all expectations is that he's ready for the new campaign. And yeah, look, again, a new era at Tottenham, like like Chelsea are about to undergo. They've got Ange Postacoglu come in, um, going to play a new style of football. I think Son fits in really nicely to it. This is a man I'm 100% back him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was really intrigued by some of his... Comments and again it goes on to this kind of role off the pitch as well as on the pitch. But he was speaking about his responsibilities on the official Tottenham channels this week, and I thought it was really interesting. He's 31 years old now. Said the longer seasons you have, the more responsibility you take. So I need to take big responsibility from here now because I'm this age. I need to take the players with me. I have to help the young players. When I join this flight to Australia, I feel like I need to make another big step for myself and for the club. My season, I hope, is going to be very special. So yeah, I mean I I completely agree. And and I think that you'd be a bit mad to write son off after a, a tough season especially given the circumstances that you've highlighted there. But, you know, there there is also the kind of holding thing of it's a new system, it's a new setup, it looks a little bit different how are how are Tottenham going to deal with that? We saw them go 2-0 down to West Ham in that first game of the summer series and and come back to bring it back to two all and then lose 3-2. I was relatively impressed. Um, and I know that there was a lot of comedy on the internet. You know, Spurs are 2-0 down in Angie's first game after 20 minutes. It's going to be a... Look, this happened at Celtic, right? The, the first games in pre-season it was all a bit mucky. But there are definitely things that you look at that and go, Spurs are going to be fun. Spurs are going to be loads of fun. They might concede a few goals here, but they're going to score a lot of goals as well. And, and, and actually, when you kind of bear all of that in mind, I think it's a system that should... Play into Song Human's hands if things all you know go to plan. Because when you look at what Ange did at Celtic, and you look at the way that Dyson Maida basically played off that left wing, you know Jota was brilliant off the right, but Dyson Maida, who is kind of a, a, a forward being played in a wide role, playing off that left wing, I think that really could suit Son's game. You know, he's quick, he's direct. Mida, he's someone who likes to get in behind. Um, and I think that all of those things should really tuck into Son's game and, and, and get the best out of him. So there's lots to be excited about, I think, in, in terms of, of what he wants here. Um, and I think that it's going to be very interesting to see just how, just how Son develops in this Ange side. But I can see it suiting him as well.
2: Do you know, also, there's some good news for Son. He is a year younger now than he was last season. This is absolutely incredible twist for Son. He has gone down in age since last season. So the traditional Korean age system dates back to many, many, many years ago. Um, But basically what it would mean is that all babies are deemed to be one year old at birth. Then every time you get to a new year, January the 1st, you're deemed to be a year older, right? So... So this is just the system that they've used in Korea. It's totally at odds, obviously, with the international system of aging. But this has just changed. Uh, they've got a new Korean president who has said, no, we need to get in line with how the rest of the world count ages. <laughs> and as a result, Son is now back to being the age he probably should be. Born in nineteen ninety eighth of July, 1992. So actually, he's just had his birthday recently. Happy birthday, Sonny. Uh, he is officially 31 years old now, but in his head, he's probably been that age for quite a long time. Well, wow, fantastic. That's <laughs> great to know. That's really good information. And it's the kind of thing you only get right here.
0: So shouts so out yeah. to you,
2: Dean. That's brilliant. What a bounce back. The Indeed. Gets he's younger. getting
0: younger. <laughs> he's Benjamin buttoned it. What a what a day, what a life. Uh okie dokie.
2: Right, let's roll onwards, shall we? Yeah, I'll tell you what, this is another man who is starting to look like he's getting younger too. Trent Alexander. Arnold, this lad is only 24 years old, which, to be honest, is absolutely astonishing that Trent is 24. Feels like he's been around for like 10 years. Look, his career was on the brink last season, it felt like. He was targeted, he was mocked, he was trolled, not just by people on the internet, it seemed at times like his opponents were doing all these things to him. Clubs were literally targeting him at right back because they felt they could absolutely take him for a ride. I remember that Brighton game that Liverpool played um, against, the, uh, yeah, it was October uh, last season. And Trent had one of the worst games imaginable. He was given the absolute run around by Trossard, He was giving the ball away. And to be honest, it became a little bit of a theme for a while for Trent and how his season was going. I think mentally, he'd have found it extremely tough to come through that period. And you were thinking, there's no way around this. Like, there's absolutely no way he can continue to play right back because we've already known for a while that, like, once you get him going backwards, you've got him on toast, basically. Defending is not his strong point. Then, 10 games into the season, Klopp tries him in this new role, so he still technically starts at right back. But inverts, comes to the midfield, starts to actually show his passing range, basically becomes the quarterback of Liverpool FC, and it absolutely pays off. Liverpool's form improves. Trent looks like a different person. Then he goes into uh, England duty on the back of the season, ends up playing in a number 10 uh, shirt, and that worked too. So what we're interested in now is what do we get from the new Trent Alexander-Arnold? Um, this is such an interesting one because we've got such a small uh, pile of evidence to show as to how he actually plays this role. And because Liverpool have brought in new signings over the summer that still have to get involved into this midfield setup. you know, McAllister and, and Soboslai are uh, very good signings, uh, but We don't know exactly how they will play together from the off. And of course, as we're recording this, we don't know exactly uh, whether Lavia or somebody else is coming into that other role. But it'll be at times an unfamiliar look to Liverpool's midfield. But maybe that's a good thing for Trent. Maybe it's a complete fresh start and it's what he needs. I have to be um, very careful as to like expecting too much from him in this role. It's funny because in... um, fantasy premier league which obviously people are, are drawing their teams up right now for he is one of the players that everyone seems they they need he is the highest selected player i think actually uh, as a defender i oh, know it's like as we're changing this it, it's just actually changing uh, but he is right up there um stupid and is clearly the most picked player i think that's because of his value but trent is an eight million pound player um in Fantasy Premier League this season as a defender. That is far and away the most expensive defender in the game. It's because everybody obviously expects him to play this role, being on free kicks. There's actually quite a lot of pressure and expectation on a player who, for a large part of last season, wasn't doing a lot at all. And to be honest, looks like, well, his international career looked over and his club career wasn't looking great. This is huge for Trent. Um, I think Liverpool generally obviously want a bit of a a comeback season because for so long it was disappointing. They managed to bounce back towards the end just like Trent did and it'll be very intriguing as to whether they can actually get off to a good start and um, make sure that the, the projection continues. Yeah, I mean, it's really intriguing,
0: I think, generally about what's going on and obviously as we record this... Liverpool's midfield continues to be up in the air. And I think that so much of how Trent's season develops depends on what Liverpool do towards the end of this window. Does Fabinho go to Saudi Arabia? Does Jordan Henderson join him? And if they do, who comes into those roles in order that Liverpool have enough bodies in that midfield to make things work? And if they do, you know, you mentioned there that Trent's 24, he becomes one of the senior players in this midfield. And that's a big step up as well, whether he's going to be kicking around in those areas and and whether he's going to be changing things, making things different, and and actually whether he's going to be playing in an actual out-and-out midfield role or whether he's going to be diving into that box midfield from right back. These are all questions that we're yet to see, and we're yet to see Liverpool kind of develop these ideas in preseason. Who goes where? And, you know, another factor in this is not just the midfield. Do Liverpool bring in another right back? You know, or do they feel that someone needs to step in and make a more, more kind of hybrid role on that right hand side? There were links to Urian Timber, obviously he's signed for Arsenal now, but those kind of links made sense in terms of what he could offer as a, a sort of centre back, right back, hybrid who's able to play in different roles depending on what the game demands. So all of these things are are intriguing, I think. And and what happens next for Trent and what happens in this season is still very dependent. So I'm not going to say that he is not going to have a good season but i think that maybe more than any of these players there are factors outside of his control that feel like major major circumstantial bits in in order for him to to have the season that we're all hoping that he can have
2: yeah absolutely that and uh, you know it's it's a story I, I think almost everyone in football wants to see continue for Trent um this is a player that is Unbelievable technique. He's got a, a great vision. It's all there. He's just not a right back. It's as simple as that. This is a player that should never have even been playing right back in the first place. As a youth player, he wasn't playing right back. Should never have ended up. I there don't know. I'm not Premier
0: completely League. sold on this conversation, you know. And I never have been. In that I think that when you have a player with the delivery and ability that Trent has from those areas, you need to get him into the areas that he can then be dangerous from. And Liverpool for you know, two, three years were getting him into those areas. And therefore the position that he was thriving in, it might not have been a traditional right back role in terms of what he was asked to do, but it was the right position for him to thrive. Now the game has potentially changed a little bit. We've shifted onwards. There are changes in systems, in formations. This is what makes it so wonderful and exciting. But just because he, his system or this system doesn't feel like it fits him perfectly right now. Doesn't mean that he always has struggled in that point. So I would just raise that as a defensive trend.
2: Yeah, it's like sticking David Beckham at right back, mate. Absolute silly, silly stuff. Uh, if it meant he, he was, was
0: getting fifteen deliveries a game, you'd probably buy it.
2: <laughs> Imagine Beck's have been a right back, right? Uh, good luck, Trent. We hope to see you bounce back. Now, going to switch down to London, where Kai Havertz has made a £65 million transfer from Chelsea to Arsenal in a bid to kind of save his reputation, I think, in the Premier League, also change his environment and hope that he can get back to the sort of form that we were all expecting to see when he first made his move into the Premier League. Now, I feel he's got a lot on his shoulders here. I think that if it doesn't start well, he's going to have to deal with a lot of new pressures. And he's already had a difficult task to overcome in his first days as an Arsenal player. I think probably most people would have seen the MLS Skills Challenge that Kai Havertz was involved in when Arsenal flew out for their preseason tour. In one of their first days in America, Kai Havertz takes place in the MLS All Star Skills Cross and Volley Challenge. He gets 14 chances. With volleys, all perfectly weighted crosses. All he's got to do is score. Kai Havertz failed to score a single volley. They were all saved or off target. One hit the bar, but it wasn't good. So he's already been mocked by Chelsea fans online for what is a record. No one who'd done this skills challenge had ever missed all 14 volleys. And Kai Havertz, remarkably did that i can't believe it to be honest i can't believe that kai actually did that because he's a great technician of a ball and it doesn't really make much sense unless he really wasn't taking that seriously then it doesn't make any much sense but you'd think just from um personal standing you'd be like if that was me out there i'd be like i can't have 14 volleys and not score one but this is the sort of thing that will happen during the season that you'll have to overcome and you know, it's say Erling Haaland when he had his, his community shield miss and he was mocked for that. People were like, oh, he's actually not going to do it. And then he bounced back, first game of the Premier League, bang, off we go. I think Kai needs a really strong start to the season. Now, Arsenal fans are saw defending Kai. I say, well, to be honest, we don't really need him to score goals because he's not playing striker for us. You were you were silly, Chelsea, because you expected Kai Havertz to be scoring goals week in, week out. And he was never actually going to do that. We're going to use him as a number eight. Kai's stats at Chelsea last season as a center forward played 35 games he scored 7 goals and he got one assist like we have not seen a reflection at all of what Kai Havertz is truly capable of so let's see the use of him at Arsenal next season let's see how they manage his game time as well as exactly his how he slots in to that lineup as an eight i quite like it I'm told that we should expect Arteta to slightly alter the shape of the Arsenal team next season. It won't be the same setup that we saw last year. There are being, it's being modified over the course of pre-season, ready for the new term. And that is so that Kai has a defined role that he fits into more easily than it would look when you compare the team that Arsenal used last season.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not particularly worried about the the skills challenger in the MLS All-Star game. Um, you know, there are there are parts of Kai Havertz's game that I love. Um, and there are parts of it that I have, you know, that, that I think need work. I think that Chelsea misused him. His greatest strength is ghosting into the box from late positions. You know, that kind of Thomas muller vibe that we've been speaking about for years. And look, regular listeners to the show will know how much I love Kai Havertz. I think he is just such a wonderful player. And he's been misutilized heavily at Chelsea. I do have some reservations. I think this is a good move for him, but I do have reservations. And my main reservation is I think that the role that Kai Havertz will be the best at in this Arsenal team is on the right-hand side of a midfield three, ghosting in on his left foot. The problem is that Martin Erdegaard plays there and he plays there exceptionally well. And it means that Havertz is going to be shifted off to probably the left-hand side of this. Now, we haven't quite seen what, Arteta's new system looks like, yet, yeah? And I imagine that there's going to be plenty of development on that. But it does slightly concern me. I would just add that, you know, Havertz's best performances in a Bayer Leverkusen shirt came from that attacking midfield 10 role and off the right wing. And so they were the, the, the positions where he was, yes, able to ghost into the box, but also able to get onto that left foot and make things happen. I just worry a little bit that the angles aren't quite there for him if he's playing on the left-hand side. Now, maybe that means... He suddenly strikes up a major assist total and doesn't look at the goal tally quite so much. But I think, for me, he's always had the potential to be a really good goal scorer. And I'm not 100% sure that this position is going to bring the best out of that. So that's my major concern. But with all that said, I do think that Arsenal feels like a better fit. It feels like a more natural, fluid fit where he's going to be able to ghost around a little bit more and make those late runs, which he's so good at. And for all of these different elements and for all of these concerns I have, I'm still convinced that this season is going to be a positive for Kai Havertz rather than a negative.
2: Yeah, just bear in mind when you're listening to this that you might have just seen Kai Havertz play a couple of games for Arsenal because of when we are recording this. Um, so Arsenal's have MLS All-Stars and uh, Man United by the time this pod has actually come out. Um, and also on Thursday, 27th of July, Arsenal play against Barcelona. Tomorrow. Which then asked, <laughs> yes, tomorrow uh, or today, maybe even if you listen to it a day late. Uh, Arsenal are playing... Barcelona so look at that one because that's probably the game where you're starting to get the best idea of actually how Arsenal are shaping up um, with their team and they're starting to get towards full fitness before they head back uh, to England to finalise their pre-season and obviously they will be involved in the FA Community Shield against Man City on the 6th of August, a game that is really going to be an intriguing one to see truly how they set up for the new season. So, yeah, let's definitely keep an eye on that one. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Right, we're going to take a quick break, but there's more players we're going to be discussing bounce back seasons for after the break. Don't go anywhere. It's well hot out there, Rank Squad, and so there's no better time to stay hydrated. Whether that's kicking a ball around with your mates at side or bopping around your favourite festival, the golden rule is that hydration is key. Whether it's prepping beforehand in the thick of the action or recovering afterwards, you can stay hydrated with Liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I've started using this stuff on Monday nights down at side, and after all the big weekends have dotted my summer landscape, and I tell you, it's a joy. You don't keep your skin looking this good by accident. Arriving in convenient little sachets, it's quick and easy to use and the acai berry flavor gives it that extra summer joy for me. But if that doesn't float your boat, there's 11 other flavors for you to try in your rotation. And if you're looking for the science, well, Liquid IV contains five different essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and that big old vitamin C hit to boot. On top of that, you're doing your bit for some good causes. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world, and so they partner with leading organizations worldwide for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50-plus countries around the world. You can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code RANKSFC at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code RANKSFC at liquidiv.com. Welcome back to RANKSFC, where we're discussing potential bounce back seasons for players. And let's move on to someone who's really got a point to prove, Dean. Let's move on to a little Brazilian magician who used to set the Premier League on fire.
2: Oh man, Philippe Coutinho! Come on, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. More attempted bounce backs than any player I can actually think of. To be honest with you, he—it's—it's it's sad to be honest. The state that Philippe Coutinho has got to—he's now thirty-one years old and it's proving a popular consider... age
0: on this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, um, look—he seems to me to be prime Saudi Arabian like. Material meat, yeah, like that. This is exactly the sort of play you would. You're thinking of all these players, like surely Coutinho is going to end up in Saudi Arabia, maybe even has by the time people are listening to this. But I'll be absolutely amazed if we ever now see Coutinho back to his best in the Premier League. But somehow or another, I want to see this guy back. I want to see flashes of what he's capable of doing last season at Aston Villa, twenty Premier League appearances, one goal zero assists. I mean, the last time he had a good return was with Bayern Munich in nineteen the 1920 season. I don't mean like over 100 years ago. I mean the 2019-2020 season when he got 23 games uh, under his belt and he scored six goals and six assists. Look, it's still not great. When he left Liverpool, he'd been scoring uh, pretty much every other game over a course of two seasons. But then after that Liverpool transfer to Barcelona, he just crashed. He just absolutely crashed for one reason or another. You know, form, confidence, everything fell away from him. Shouldn't really be in in this situation now because he's still young enough to have a good, good season ahead of him. Um, Of all the players we've talked about so far, there's definitely the the least faith in Cassino coming good again. Uh, I. It's just got to find the right project. He's got to find the right manager. He's got to find the right position. There are three massive things that have been a problem for him ever since he did leave Liverpool. So, yeah, I'm afraid that this one, in terms of being a bounce back, I'd probably rank it the most difficult of all to actually see. Is there any reasons that you believe that, that Coutinho can light up the Premier League or La Liga or anywhere else? Tell you what, I was sketching
0: out a, an episode for a couple of weeks' time, which is players that desperately need a move, which will push in a little bit further towards the end of the window. And Philippe Coutinho was very, very high on my list, right? Yeah. A player that just needs to get out. There is no space for him, I don't think, in an Unai Emery system. And I think you look at the difference between that first half season on loan, right, where he got five goals in 19 games and the one in 20 appearances last season most of which came under Steven Gerrard in, in the first half of the season it just looks like there's clearly no future for Philippe Coutinho under Unai Emery at Aston Villa and that's completely fine by the way it's not an it's not an issue and Emery has got his system it's working why would he change that up there is no reason for him to do so and therefore I think that he's probably making the right choice. I don't know where it leaves him, and I don't know where he goes, and I have no answers to the problem in, in in this regard. I think that there are so few teams now who, across Europe, to be honest, who would take a gamble on Coutinho, given what we've seen from him of late. And at 31, I don't think anyone's going to be gambling on a long-term contract. Maybe there is an element that if you... if Roma lost to Dybala, for example. Would would they take a gamble on maybe putting him into one of those slots behind the striker? Maybe. Would they be able to afford him? Probably not, considering the FFP stringencies and the other issues that Roma have to address in their squad this summer. There's so many question marks over where he would fit, and I'm stressed for him in that I can't see any outballs apart from maybe relinking up with Steven Gerrard at Al Etifax. So, it makes me sad, but I, I, I can't see this because I can't see where he goes to have said bounce-back season.
2: Yeah, a sad demise for Philippe Coutinho. I uh, hope he proves us wrong. hope he finds yeah, the I right do. club. But at, as we sit here, I don't think anyone listening, or us two, can actually see Philippe Coutinho getting back to those levels. Hit, us, or... up, hit us up if you have a landing
0: spot for Philippe Coutinho on Twitter. Yeah,
2: yeah. Or something. 100%. Now let's go to another former Liverpool player who has also struggled since he left them. Uh Sadio Mane obviously joined Bayern Munich uh last summer. It was only 35 million pound. It was a pretty pretty serious deal at the time in the sense that you know he was the first player that decided to leave Liverpool from that that front line of Mane, Firmino and Salah. Um to be honest, Mane wasn't able to find his old form and Liverpool didn't really recover from that moment either. I mean, Mane's personal numbers from last season in Bundesliga, he played 25 games, seven goals and five assists. Pretty terrible numbers, really, for someone playing at such a dominant German club. I will give him um, the fact that he had an injury that he picked up in November, which obviously uh, made things difficult for him, uh, more difficult than they would have otherwise been. Also didn't help when he was suspended in April for punching Leroy Salah in the face. Uh, that wasn't a great moment. Um, but yeah, in all competitions, he got 12 goals and it's it's a mile away from the, the man. He was a, just not the same player. He wasn't that we used to see at Liverpool when him and Salah would, would share the responsibility of guiding that team towards great things now um Bayern have got to the stage where they would actually be willing to cash in on Sadio Mane already not only that Sky Germany recently reported that they would be willing to take a loss on him they'd sell him for 27 million pounds right now Wow, well, it was reported pretty last crazy week the- so they were willing yeah.
0: to take a half cut on it in order to get him off the books after that. And and look, there's been some really brutal comments from Thomas Tuchel, who basically yeah. was just like, oh, yeah, he fell short of expectations. He doesn't look like he's going to have a starting position. He knows my opinion and opinion of the club. It doesn't feel like there's a future for him, right?
2: Yeah, well he also said in that that he said, let's see, crazy things have happened in football. I mean, I don't think it's a crazy thing to manage no. to find a way to get Sadio Mane into your into your starting eleven, but it feels like there's some friction here. Um Mane himself, the Yes, how old he is, by the way? Oh, he's gotta be thirty one by is now. 31, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um He's determined to see this through. He's determined to actually stick at Bayern, turn this situation around and, and show that this can be a positive transfer for him. If he can get back in this team, I absolutely believe in him. You know, um, I think that there's absolutely no reason Sadio Mane should not be a resounding success in Bundesliga and for Bayern Munich as well. It just feels like it's Thomas Tuchel's got a problem with him right now. And obviously that could be something that's fair enough that we don't know about. But if it's just based on football, there's no reason why Sadio Mane should not have a massive bounce back next season and help Bayern comfortably go win Bundesliga rather than winning it on the final day of the season and comfortably put them into the final stages of the Champions League as they try to hunt down that trophy.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there's again, if you can make this work, there's a really, really good footballer in there. Of course there is. It's Sadio Mane we're talking about here. When this, isn't, this isn't just someone who, who has suddenly had five or six. It, again, it's not Coutinho. And I think you can look at the Coutinho thing and be like, mm, how many good seasons has he had in the last four or five? And the answer is very few. This is very different to that. He you know, got 12 in 38 for Bayern Munich last year, which isn't great, but it's also not dreadful. Um, and, and I think that when you kind of put all of those things into into context it means that if you can make a, uh, make, a make it work with, with Sadio Mane, I think you should. And although it doesn't look like it's going to be a thing at, at Bayern Munich, where are the options if he was to leave? Because there's been rumours that Chelsea are linked. But with Mütterich and Sterling, as we've discussed right at the top of this podcast, on that wing, does that make any sense whatsoever?
2: No, not really. I mean, again... If this doesn't work out for him, there's already offers on the table coming from from Saudi Arabia, um, which you wouldn't blame him for taking at this stage. But it, it genuinely feels like he's got a determination to continue to prove himself in Europe rather than go chasing that money right now. So I, w-
0: I would blame him a little bit more than I would blame say Coutinho. Well, blame him is probably the wrong word, but I would. I think I'd be I judge it harsher than yeah. if if Coutinho went. If Coutinho went, I'd be like, look. Fair enough. You came back, you gave it a go after a bad spell at, at you know Barcelona, where there was that good bit by Munich, and came back to Premier League, gave it a, a go. It worked for a little while. It stopped working. The manager doesn't suit you, and I don't see any other landing spots. But mm-hmm. if Sadio Mane is available for 17 million, as is being touted, then there is a host of clubs that should be interested because there is 100% still gas in Sadio Mane's tank.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I'm still surprised he left Liverpool when he did. I still think that Liverpool felt the effects of that for a long time afterwards. There's obviously no way back to Liverpool now, but you'd feel like last season wouldn't have been as big a problem whenever Salah went through a dry patch if Mane had been on the other side of that attack. And with that in mind, he should be able to be a success pretty much anywhere across Europe, including all those big Champions League clubs. So let's see what the future does hold for Sadio Mane. Uh the final player I want to discuss is a wonder kid who Might is no a longer a kid. wonder kid now. Yeah, he's no longer a kid, but he feels like he is because he's just not getting the breakthrough that he should have made by now and it's Joao Felix. Um by now he's not 31 by the way. Uh by now 23. He, sh- <laughs> <laughs> he should be up there with Mbappe. And Haaland and Vinicius, he should be talked about by now in that same bracket, given the trajectory that he had as a teenager, as he was making his breakthrough in football and linked with every big club in Europe. he's just nowhere near it. Look, I'm going to defend him to a certain degree. When I saw him play for Chelsea last season, I saw him a couple of times live, as well as obviously on TV the rest of the time. There were several occasions when he was the best player on that pitch by a distance. Oh, yeah. Uh, This is a man that, in terms of ability, everything there to to be capable of a a bounce back. He probably doesn't even feel like he is a bounce back right now. He's probably quite happy with his personal form. What he needs is a club, a style, a formation, a position that actually suits him and allows him to thrive. Because at the moment, he's a bit of a nowhere man. I don't know where Xiao Felix is supposed to be playing. I don't know what he's supposed to be doing. I don't know what my expectation should even be of him. And that's a bit of a worry when you get to 23 and you're a player that genuinely, genuinely is one of the most talented top 10 talents in. I don't know if I can go world. Yeah. I'd say world football, like for his age, certainly, but even beyond that, Xiao Felix should be getting into any team. Um, now, Chelsea didn't want to keep him permanently beyond the end of the season, which I was slightly surprised about. Maybe it's just that they were already signing Nkunku yeah, and had like almost and they had,
0: they had a trial run of a player in that kind of second striker mould with Felix, and then they'd already signed in kunku, And I think that if that deal hadn't already gone through, then maybe we'd be thinking about something slightly different in this regard. But ultimately you don't need more than I actually think that Jean-Felix would suit Pochettino to a T I think he would be absolutely sensational in that in that role behind the striker for Pochettino but you know Chelsea had already made their move in, in that market and therefore were kind of a little bit hamstrung by that in terms of the depth that they need and depth that they want so there's loads to kind of give you I feel like we're talking about this a lot at the moment but we talk about advanced eights, we talk about 10s, we talked about Havertz, who I think probably is best as as a 10. We talked about the fact that, you know, someone like Coutinho doesn't feel like there's many gaps for him. And especially at the elite level, there doesn't feel like there's all that many teams that play with an out and out 10 at the moment, you know? And and actually, it feels that there isn't necessarily an obvious space for someone like Israel Felix to, to kick on with his career. I, he can't stay at Athletic. I think this is ultimately it. But The problem with that is that he has a long contract, which he extended before he went off to Chelsea. (laughs) And then on top of that, you know, we're talking about a player who this week has come out and said, I'd love to join Barcelona. We've always dreamed of playing for Barcelona. You can't be coming out and saying that while you're an Atletico Madrid player. That's (laughs) ludicrous behavior because there aren't any real suitors for him aside from Aston Villa, it appears. And Mm. At the moment, it looks most likely that he's going into next season as an Atletico Madrid player. And if that happens, I can't see this being a good year for João Félix. Now, he has all the talent to prove me wrong. But I just think that the friction between him and Simeone there feels like it's too much to overcome. Their games don't suit each other. Griezmann's back. There's just loads. Memphis is there now. There's too many players ahead of him in the pecking order in order for him to thrive. And so he has to get out of there. But I'm just not 100% sure where he goes. Maybe if Bayern fail with their bid for Harry Kane, then they could come back and they sell Sadio Mane, then maybe they come and have a look at Ralph Felix. But there isn't loads of options out there that I'm going, yep, that fits. That fits nicely. There's a space for him in that squad. And that worries me.
2: Yeah, look, he's definitely been touted all over the place this summer. Uh, the fact he's even been offered to Aston Villa, I find extremely worrying for a player that by now should be playing for a team that's competing to win the Champions League. I know Villa are on the up, but they shouldn't really be in with a chance of signing João Felix. Um, but it, it's a reflection on the way both parties are heading, really. Villa are optimistic and ambitious and João Felix is trying to become realistic about where he can actually land right now. Uh, last season, the Premier League, he got 16 appearances, only got four goals in that time. Um, and before that moment of his transfer uh, across to Stamford Bridge, he'd managed four goals in La Liga before that moment too. So also only got eight goals in La Liga the season before that. Mate, this is a player that needs lift-off. I'm not going to lie. I'm Bear in mind though, that worried. year
0: it is it's slightly that's slightly unfair in that yes, he scored eight goals. He was also Athletic's Player of the Season,
2: and there were moments where you were like, right, he's arrived. Yeah, so 100. It,
0: it's it, it might be that he hasn't scored. It's like- the
2: consistency, mate. I think I think that's probably where it lies for me. It's the consistency of responsibility and performance, and the all round package that you can get from Zhao that I just haven't seen enough. And it has to come soon. It really has to come. Otherwise, he's just going to become a player that never actually is able to live up to the hype that has built up now for years. We know he's a magnificent footballer, like one of the biggest talents we've probably seen from the last six, seven years. But he's not getting there. And this is why I consider it, possibly from this list, the player in most desperate need of an immediate bounce back because of... The fact he has the potential to go on and become the best player in the world if he can do that, that genuinely he could still do that if he got the right club. Only, right at, least, now. at least
0: up there, I think, is probably yeah. the, you know, the, the conversation. Maybe not the best player in the world, but I think that he would definitely be in the elite bracket conversation. And, and that potential needs to be realized sooner rather than later. I think you're absolutely spot on in that regard and with that we will bring this main segment to a close there are some players desperately in need of bounce back seasons in various different guises and for various different reasons uh there are thoughts on whether they can achieve them or not after the break we've got more of hot takes from the rank squad stick with us Welcome back to Rank FC. It's time for part three and hot takes. And this week, I'd like to start with a lovely message from Luke.
3: Hi, guys. I'm 14. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And I love your new part of your podcast, uh, Hot Takes. So I thought I'd make a shout. Um, I think that Liverpool, with the signings of McAllister and Lie. I think that's how I pronounce his name, Lie. And hopefully... Kefran Thuram, and maybe if we put Trent up at the midfield too. I think our midfields now one of the best in the Premier League, and I think we have a legit shot at competing for the title. So I think that Liverpool will win the Premier League next season. That's my hot take. Because I think our front three uh, didn't get enough chances. I think with our new midfield, they're helping uh, helping out a lot. And our defense will get better with our new midfield helping out our defense. So yeah, that's my hot take. I just want to say I love your guys' videos. And let me know
0: what you think. Shout out to Luke. 14 years old and coming up <laughs> nice with hot takes like that. You know, that, that's impressive. Love it. There's a future Top in man, broadcasting Luke. for you, Luke. Uh, very, Top very man. exciting. Um, yeah. Right. Well, Luke thinks it's the going win the Premier League. I think it is a hot take, yeah. Um, hot I, take. I think it's a hot take, especially because some of these signings haven't been made yet. <laughs> that's that's why I think I mean. it's a hot take. Um, <laughs> but, but. There is plenty to like about Liverpool's business, I think, in, in in this summer so far. There's plenty to be excited about for Liverpool fans in terms of this midfield rebuild. I think that Luke is probably a year out. I think that a year will be needed for the midfield to gel together, to, to work its way through. It's a very young team now, especially if Fabinho and Henderson do look like they're off. And if that's the case, it might just take a little while for it all to gel together. But I think that there's no doubt that Liverpool will be on the up, on a, on a positive trajectory with this new midfield. And that if everything does go to plan, I think that they might well be title contenders the season after next.
2: I actually agree with Luke in that I think Liverpool come closest to Man City next season. Do you? I I, I think that there's legitimate reason to believe they can do that. Yeah, I think that last season a lot went against them. You know, we've already mentioned Mane leaving, but then injuries, um, strange moments throughout that campaign that were managed. they also bringing in new signings a lot into that team. When you look now at their forward options that they've got at their disposal and the fact that a lot of them have had bedding in time, they've uh, looked to reform the midfield, still worry slightly about it. But if that reinvention pays off, then actually I think that they are at least as good as Arsenal and probably better, actually, because I look at some of the, the players that they've got. Say, say Salah gets a 30-goal season again. Say we get the Real most Salah for the full season. I feel like he's not far off. I don't think they can topple Man City, but... It wouldn't surprise me at all if Liverpool actually do come second. No, I, I, I would disagree with that. I think
0: Arsenal have moved forward and they were considerably better side than Liverpool last year. Yes, there were circumstances
2: to that. I completely agree. But, but you I th- just said the season before that Arsenal wouldn't have even come close to Liverpool, so we don't know what we're getting yet.
0: No, but then again we said that we worried about the absences and the players leaving at Liverpool. We thought there would be a little bit of a tail off. Not quite that much. I don't think anybody was expecting that and anyone that tells you they were, I think, is probably lying. Um but I think that we could see that there were potential problems ahead when, when, when Sadio Mane left and without necessarily the recognised players that they were looking at bringing in, in in the last window. It feels like Liverpool have really strengthened. And I completely agree that I think they will be back up there and I think they will be back in the Champions League spots. But I'm not completely convinced they have done enough for me this summer yet to overtake Arsenal, who I think have made very, very sensible signings that keep them moving forward. And have addressed the main problem areas within their system so far so all of those things i think are up for consideration but i think that luke is probably not miles away maybe just a year out thank you Luke, for sending that one in let's go to a rank squad veteran let's go to louis goodwin
1: hello mates i'm louis i'm from south london i've been listening to ranks since the first br episode and I've been a patron since day one, and I've loved the stuff so much. I've been on the Discord for the last year as well. The people there are so great, and it's an absolutely great community. Shout out especially to the football manager, assistant managers on there. It's an absolutely lovely place, and I recommend that anyone else joins because it's such an amazing place. My heart take is to do with football moments. And there's one football moment in particular which I don't think should be considered anywhere near as much as it's seen in football spheres. And that's the Troy Deeney moment. I think that the Troy Deeney-Watford moment against Leicester is one of the most overrated sports moments of all time. The reasons for this is mainly to do with context. Firstly, it wasn't exactly the goal that got Watford promoted to the Premier League. No, it was the playoff semi-final against Leicester and they lost to Crystal Palace in the final a week later and I think that if it was the context of the goal that got them promoted then that would certainly be one of the best moments but secondly it would be one of the best moments for Watford fans but in context to, do, to compare with the Aguero moment which won Man City to Premier League is completely different. And I don't think that the Troy moment should be considered in the high level that it seems to be compared with on a regular basis on the internet. Thank you guys. Thank you very much,
0: Louis. That's a scorcher. That's an absolutely scorching take. It is. That is leave the ground bare beneath the fires that have burned kind of take. The Watford Troy Deeney moment wasn't that good. Um, I absolutely <laughs> appreciate Louis's point that, I think that the fact that they lost in the final afterwards is not talked about enough in the context yeah. of where that moment is discussed. But but at home to see the other side with a penalty opportunity that's saved, scrambled away, and has got the other end and scored the goal has got to be the, one of the most dramatic turnarounds in 60 seconds from being like, it's done, it's over, we've lost to we're going to Wembley. And I think that, Having been at playoff semi finals, having invaded the pitch after Dennis Hadori scored the winner in the playoff semi final against Derby County for Fulham, the joy of that moment, the, the ecstasy of going to Wembley itself, and maybe this is a bit different because Fulham hadn't been in 35 years or whatever, but the joy of that moment itself was unbelievable. And to have it in that context, the fact that the pendulum swung that, that, that strongly in like a 60-second clip is, you know, how many Watford fans would have seen the penalty given and walked out? I think that's, a, this is the, kind of, that's the kind of thing you have to use. It felt like everything was done, dust, if ever. If, if knockout had screamed that penalty into Rose Ed rather than it being saved, Leicester win that game. He doesn't mm. have to score. He just has to not keep the ball in play. And the fact that it's the death, the timing of it, there was something quite similar, I think, um, years back when Brentford played. I think I can't remember if it was Rotherham or Yeovil, but Marcelo Trotter hit the bar in this penalty and it would have sent Brentford up at, if they'd scored the penalty. And instead, you know, they went down the other end and scored. I think it was Rotherham. So I think the, those moments are remembered because of the swings of pendulums. And that's why I think, as a fan in the stadium, that must be the most ridiculous explosion of emotion that you could ever imagine. But I do completely take Louis's point on that the fact that it didn't send them up and they didn't get promoted is not talked about enough.
2: Yeah, I just quickly Googled it while you were talking there, and everywhere's labeling it like the most. The You know, the most historic moment in Watford's history. Uh, you know, the greatest moment in football history. Like, everywhere's declaring it as that. And he's right. Like, in the context of things, it was just a semi-final. I would actually argue it's not even the most dramatic thing I've ever seen happen at Watford. I was at a game at Watford in 2008, and I was reporting on this game, and it was an absolute nightmare. Watford played against Reading, and we had a ghost goal. A goal was given when the ball had not even gone in the net. It had gone past it. And there was a miscommunication between linesman and referee. And it was given as a goal. But actually, the ball had gone wide. It was absolutely ludicrous. There was obviously no goal line technology or anything. And it was given like... At the time, it was like this is embarrassing. Like, what's what's going on? Everyone's like, it should be a goal kick. Like, what's going on? So, I would say go and look it up. By the way, uh, yeah, Watford Reading two thousand and eight ghost goal. Reporting on that game, trust me, was one of the most biggest challenges of my whole career. Mm, I but, so I'd argue, yeah, I am with Louis. Not even the most dramatic things ever happened at Vicarage Road.
0: Right. Okay. I've actually scored a goal at Vicarage Road, so that might be the most dramatic thing that's ever happened there. Most unexpected, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I didn't expect that kind of shade. Right. Well, that. let's move on to Dallas.
3: Hey, guys. So, in light of the podcast with Harry Brooks recently, where he was very negative about Chelsea, I wanted to come on and share a little reason for optimism in the form of a hot take. So, I think they're Definitely questions that can be asked about Chelsea's attack. But my hot take is that Chelsea, if they stay healthy this upcoming season, will have the best back four in the entire league. Uh, And uh, I think you can back that up by saying Reese James and Ben Chilwell, when healthy, are the best fullback pairing in the league. And I don't know if it's really that close. Uh, Maybe looking at Liverpool, but Trent is a midfielder, so I don't think that really counts. So. Uh, a little bit of everything, attack defense from those two. I think it also you have great backup for both of them. Uh, Mal Augusto and Ian Matson and Lewis Hall on the left, as well as Kukureya, if he has any kind of a renaissance under Pochettino this season. And then I think if you look at the center backs, the set of four of Leroy Colwell and Betty Ashile, Wesley Fofana and Thiago Silva has a fantastic mix of profiles, as well as the experience of Thiago, who was one of the best center backs in the entire league last season and um, Weldo, I think, is on his way to becoming one of the best fullbacks or centre-backs in the world. So, um, yeah, I think those guys, and then you add in from jalaba as the fifth option to back up as the third string right-back, as well as just a great squad piece to have as a fifth option at centre-back, uh, I think that is deeper and more talented than any other in the league. So that's my hot take. Uh, let me know what you guys think.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's, I
3: don't think it's that
0: hot a take. It's um, I think in terms of yeah. I don't think I think in terms of profiles. I also say that I would always include a goalkeeper in terms of what a defensive line looks like. And in that yeah. regard, Chelsea fall down a little bit. Now, you know that I'm probably hotter on Kepper than most people, but I still think that he is a capable goalkeeper rather than a brilliant one. And I think that when you look at other back fours, fives in the league. That, that that maybe changes things. But if you talk in terms of the actual pure four in front of the goalkeeper, I think on paper it's quite a it's quite a decent argument that Chelsea have the, the most talented and deepest back four in terms of squad yeah. depth. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tested straight away because Fafana's out injured. Um, so, straight away, they'll feel in the force of that. I mean, he's got a point. You know, last season, Chelsea finished 12th in the league. Still find that absolutely unbelievable. They conceded 47 goals, which actually is the same number. That Liverpool conceded finishing fifth in the league and actually it's only four more goals conceded than both Arsenal and Man United from last season who finished second and third so if Chelsea's big problem last season was actually scoring goals obviously they only scored 38 goals which was literally an average of one goal a game and that is like well short you're talking like 20-30 goals short of actually being in that that top four of the Premier League discussion so that's their big problem. The foundations are there for Posh. absolutely agree with that. It's just getting the rhythm of the front five front six whatever whatever we end up seeing is open out as you know thriving um so no, I think I actually think it's a good point that we should probably bear in mind that if Chelsea can keep things tight, maybe it's just a case of slowly growing this. Maybe they begin the season as i said before the the fixtures are tough with little uh tight score lines, one nils two ones maybe they could they could just edge games early doors mm, yeah
0: yeah i i, I mean do are, are james and Chilwell the best fullback pairing in the league i think
1: yeah, as if tra- they're both fit as yeah.
0: traditional fullbacks probably um I, but then you know we haven't really talked about man city here but obviously they've they been playing fullbacks. a different system but actually you'd imagine that Akanji, stones diaz and Arke probably have something to say about the fact that they are the best back four in the league because that is exceptional and that's without bringing into account the fact that the port's there the fact that kyle walker's there now whether they'll both be there next season different question whether guardiol is there adding to this next season probably adds to man city's favor but yeah i i think it's a, it's definitely up for debate um i'm not 100 sure if i'd be stonewall on that chelsea have the best back four in the league but i don't think it's that Mad I like take. it as a discussion
2: point. I think it's worth bearing in mind as we head into a new campaign that actually they might not be that easy to beat and that's probably a good good way to, to look at it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Okay, then with that. I mean, nice one. To be well done everyone. They were great. Day. Great hot takes. Thank you to Luke Hiles. Thank you to Louis Goodwin and thank you to Dallas as well for sending them in. We will be taking more of these so please do get them in to me on Twitter or Instagram or the Discord if you're on there. We'd love you to come and be part of the Discord. It's a brilliant community. There's a link to joining the patreon at the bottom you get two extra episodes a week and access to that discord and the ability to ask questions on our monday post box there's loads to discuss in there so it was very exciting and a great place to be we'd love you to join us ahead of the new season but for now all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much to mr dean jones Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We all hope you have wonderful weeks and we will see you again very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. slash ranks.